Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Team Performance, Winning Ways for Uncertain Times. My name is Christian Napier. I'm one of the two hosts of this podcast. The other is the illustrious, brilliant brains of the operation, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? I am wonderful. Thank you, Christian. You're always making me feel so good. Thank you. I just can't, I look forward to these podcasts just to hear your introduction. That's the only reason I do them is to support you emotionally because I know <laughs> that, that you suffer from poor self-esteem. And so I just yes. need to build you up. It's a great way to start the week on a Monday. We just have a nice conversation and I make you feel better about yourself. And I, and you do. Well, I'm happy to I'm happy to take on that task. The wonderful thing about our conversation today is it's not just the two of us, Spencer. We have a, an amazing guest joining us. Spencer, why don't you introduce our wonderful guest today? Thank you, Christian. I am so, so excited to invite our guest on to, to speak with us here in just a, a few seconds. But I want to tell you a little bit about him. His name is Dan Lear. And I've known Dan now for a, a couple of years. He is an incredible business leader, incredible speaker. I'm going to share some of his uh, really experience out in, in the world. And, and I and I know he has so much to share with our business leaders that are listening right now about how to improve their business during these uncertain times. But he is a number one best-selling author and with a sales and leadership expert and an internationally recognized speaker. And over the past two years alone, Christian, Dan has spoken in over 30 countries and he shares his proven strategies to maximize your true potential. Dan is the most requested speaker in Las Vegas, my former home, and that's where I, I met him. He was a regular on HSN as America's coach, and his work has covered by the Today Show and Inside Edition, along with being a guest on the Howard Stern Show and the O'Reilly Factor. He's also an adjunct professor at the School of Business and Entrepreneurship at Fort Hayes State University in Kansas. And in Dan's early career, he earned the ranks of the number one sales performer in the country and won back-to-back -back national titles as a college basketball player. And he knows what it takes to win, which is exactly what we're looking for. So let's put our hands together for Dan Lear. All right, Dan. Well, listen, well, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Spencer. That was an incredible introduction, man. I'd like to meet that guy. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> well, you know, we wanted to have you on to talk about something I know that you talk a lot about, and that is how to prosper during times of uncertainty. You know, we, we were talking a little bit earlier that the concern is, is getting through this crisis as quickly as possible. And it may not happen as quickly as we want it. And, and the fear is that the cure may be worse than the disease. We need to make sure that we're careful and be healthy, but we also have to come out of this and, and continue to operate, Dan. So I'd, we'd love to hear your wisdom on what you think we can do to do that. Yeah, that's great. You know, we're in really some unique times here and uncertain times. And so, you know, what, what I've been doing is just really reaching out to my clients and my prospects and, you know, people that I love and care about and, and really just helping them with their, their mindset, because it's my belief that 90% of your success has to do with what's going through your head at, at any given time. So, you know, these circumstances are so strange. Uh, and quite frankly, many people aren't armed with the tools to manage themselves through these times. And so, you know, just talking to people and teaching people about how they can control their mindset and really tap into their own personal power, if you will, uh, because this is a place that many people haven't been to. 
you know? And so, uh, people are scrambling right now looking for the edge and, and, and for me, just getting people to understand that they can control their thoughts, they can control their activities. They can actually create momentum in these times if they're able to, you know, tap into their mindset and, and maximize their potential. So I think that's what people are really dealing with right now is it's a weird time. I'm uncertain. What do I do? And, and in a business community too, you know, everything is stopped. And so you've got salespeople who, you know, what am I supposed to do? I'm not going to call my clients because I don't want to sell them anything. So they, they feel like they're paralyzed. And so one of the things I've been talking to a lot of teams about is uh, it's, it's really a shift of, of, of intent. You know, it's, it sounds kind of awkward and weird, but you know, what I've been doing with my clients and my customers is calling them up and not about selling, but about my intent is to help them. My intent is to see if there's anything they can use or anything I can do for them to help bridge the gap during these uncertain times. Is there any way that I can help you with your employees to help them get through this uncertainty so that when we do kick off, we can get back and, and ready to rock? So it's, it's really a psychology play and really helping people find their resources that are going to allow them to succeed. And, and I think that's what we're working on right now. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Dan. I was uh, just before our conversation this morning, I was talking with Spencer and I told him I, this morning I received rather unwelcome news from a client who canceled contract. And at first I was very, very angry because the way I received this was through an automated message that was generated by their contract management system saying that my contract had been voided. Jeez. And, and so I initially reacted quite angrily and I started typing up an email voicing my displeasure. But then as I thought about it, I thought, well, these are unprecedented times for them too they're going through a million things. They probably didn't even realize that their system was going to kick this email oh, probably off. I'm probably not the only person who received this email. And we've had a great relationship with them for over five years. And so I decided instead of to send this nasty email saying you should treat your, your contractors better than getting automated messages, instead of going that route, I... I just collected myself and said, all right, I received this email and I understand that things are very, very difficult. You're going through a situation right now where you're reassessing your priorities for this year. Right. We can be part of that solution. So as you go through and assess your priorities this year, even if it's not something that we've been currently asked to do, perhaps we can help. So I've got a call on Wednesday um, That's with great. Them to see what we yeah. might be able to do That's great. to make some lemonade out of the lemons that we were given this morning. And I think that you handled that perfectly because I think that's what most people aren't seeing. They're not seeing the fact that the no is a no. It's almost like a cry for help, like no, but they need other things that they're not aware of. They don't know what they don't know. And so the fact that you reached out with that type of intent was incredible. And I think that that's one of the keys right there that people can really adopt. You, you know, Dan, one of the things that I think gives a lot of gravitas to what you talk about um, I didn't tell you that I was going to talk about this, but in, in 2017, you were actually diagnosed with uh, a uncurable blood disease, amyloidosis. And as a speaker, one that depends upon your health and abil ability to get out in front of people and move audiences, I, I can't even begin to imagine that the impact that that had is, has had on you. And one of the things I would love for you to share is how did you handle that? crisis and, and use what you're talking about because you, you talk about mindset, 
and you've been talking about this for decades. You taught your kids it. You ra- you raised your children on mindset. They're incredible athletes and 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 scholars in school. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a interesting point. So yeah, so and kind of taking it back, I was uh, in, in April of 2017. I got diagnosed with an incurable blood disease called amyloidosis, which is extremely rare and it kills 40 percent of the people that get it in the first 12 months. And so prior to prior to getting diagnosed, I was really sick. And I was, I was struggling just psychologically because I kept going to these doctors and these specialists and they keep telling me there's nothing wrong with me, but I knew that I was dying. And of course they're pumping me up full of drugs and, Oh, you've got GERD and you've got this and here, take that. And Oh my, Oh my God. It was just, it was, I was on like six or seven types of drugs at one point. And I told my wife, I'm like, Jennifer, this is ridiculous. I stopped it all except for like some pills I was taking for my heart because I had had an ablation recently. So anyway, it was just a really rough time. And here I'm, you know, trying to keep my company rolling. And I feel there was one talk that I did Spencer. I mean, like, Oh my God, I was, it was in Vegas. Thank God. Um, I'm a professional just like you are and I'm prepared. And now we show up early and I'm ready to rock and roll on this particular day. And I remember who it was for. Honestly, it was for the village Inn, uh, which is a, like a pancake house. It was their national corporate meeting, the village Inn. And so it was just one of those days where I did not think I could do it. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't want to go. I didn't think I could do it, but I'm speaking in two hours. And so I get, you know, I get dressed, I walk there and I mean, I mean, it's like the, the mindset is like, I'm usually already there and I'm like strolling in at the time of introduction, just because I'm moving so slow and I'm so sick. And then I do that talk and, um, I had done, you know, I had been sick for a long time, but I just remember at that point I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not able to do this anymore. So anyway, the short story is I got I finally went up to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. They diagnosed me with this amyloidosis. I started chemotherapy right away. I did three types of chemotherapy over a course of two years, over hundreds and hundreds of treatments. And you didn't stop with self-pity and say, my income's drying up or (laughs) what am I going to do right now? Yeah. You know, that's interesting. So um, again, mindset, I had had already been been through all. I mean, if, if there's such a thing of being prepared for that, situation. I was prepared for that situation. So uh, my background is I, 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 I grew up with my father. My mother and father were divorced when I was young. I stayed with my mother until I was in sixth grade. And then I moved with my father. And it was like a 180. So in my, my mother had, uh, she, we were, she was single. She was very attractive. She was trying to find a husband. She was not a disciplinarian. I was out of control. I was getting in trouble. Then I moved with my father, who was 180. So he was a teacher. Um, don't talk back unless you are asked to talk back and you do this and do this and do this. Any questions? Yes or no. If you don't like it, you can leave. So it was exactly what I needed, but it, it really wasn't a healthy environment, but I developed extreme mental toughness because I, I mean, I had no choices in life. I had to do a lot of, a lot of things, uh, anyway. Um, but that prepared me for what I needed to do. And, it was a really small town in Michigan and I wanted to get out of there so bad. So I was blessed that I had some basketball skills and I was, I was tall. So uh, it's really strange when I meet you because I, I look up to <laughs> very few people. You're six foot eight, six foot eight. Yeah. And I'm six foot seven. And with my old age, probably six, six and a half now. Yeah, likewise, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, ended up getting a basketball scholarship and I went to Blake College Basketball. So 
the first school I went to was a D1 school. I got a full ride to Division I school in the University of Toledo in Ohio, which is the, the MAC MAC conference, which I think is one step below the Big Ten athletically. Anyway, I wasn't ready for that. I was 17 years old. I basically got my ass kicked and I was not ready to go, but it was incredible, incredible, incredible time for me as far as just getting up every day, hating it and having to go to practice and getting my butt kicked every day. And so I learned about the fact that you can fight through the worst, the worst pain. I mean, I hated it. And, um, and I didn't play very much. And so I ended up transferring and went to a junior college. And then I went to a small school and um, that's where, you know, my mental toughness started to show through because I had been through all that stuff. I knew what it took to survive. And, you know, here I was on a, a really good team again. It was a small college, but we had all division one transfers. They had just finished number four in the nation last year in uh, NAIA basketball. And so I come on board. And so we went 35 and two that year and won the national, wow. right. And I was not, and I was not, you know, athletically, I was not in the top eight as far as athleticism. But I, what I realized is that attitude and hustle make up for a lot of deficiencies. And so all I knew how to do is work. So I went to practice every day and worked my ass off. And so I was a starter for two straight years. Uh, and even in my senior year, I came back, we won the national title my junior and I came back and then I was like, oh, I'm so excited. It's going to be a great, you know, senior year. Let's do it again. And, and then, of course, we were we were number one in the nation preseason and coach, coach brings in all these juco transfers and we had guys from utep we had all these d1 guys in and you know you see the handwriting on the wall so they don't come eligible till christmas and then i start losing time and they start benching me and i'm not playing at all for like three or four games and instead of crying and moaning i went upstairs after we we led the nation in non-division one uh, attendance so, so we had a six thousand seat coliseum that was packed every night and upstairs was an indoor track that went around the concessions. It was a, a second two-story type of coliseum. And I just went upstairs after the game and I still had my warm-ups on. And I just started running. I'd run two or three or four miles, do sprints, do intervals, and you know, the the scholarship football players and scholarship uh uh baseball players were up there working the concessions. So they would see me and some would make make fun of me because they didn't like me, and some of them gave me some nods of approval because they they knew what I was doing. And uh, anyway, long story short, two, 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 three games later, the guy that was in front of me uh, had a choice to make. We were, at a, we were at a away game and it was like 30 miles from our campus and he wanted to stay and party. He wanted to stay on a Saturday night and party with some of the people in, in this other town. And our coach is like, no, it's, I'm liable for you. You got to come back. Well, he chose to ignore the coach. He stayed and partied. And guess who got the starting job the next day? And that was me. And that, and because I was prepared for that, because I had worked, because I had done the things that I needed to do when I wasn't playing, I didn't skip a beat. And I took that starting role and I never gave it back. And then we won this second straight national title. So that proved to me that the hard work and the focus and the effort, no matter what happens, you're always going to come out on top, even when even when you're down and out. And so that was another lesson that I learned, another reference that caused me to have that belief system that my mind was the most important thing that I had. And so then I went to work for Tony Robbins and the same thing happened. I went in there and they had all these talented people. And, and what we would do is we would go into companies to sell tickets to see his seminars. This is before the internet. So 
we had a team of people that would go out and do sales meetings at companies, Pfizer, AT&T, anybody on commission, we do these free sales meetings and sell tickets to see Tony Robbins afterwards. And nobody, all these, all these high powered superstars, they never wanted to do the real estate meetings because the real estate meetings didn't pitch in towards the event because they're all independent contractors. So all the seasoned veterans wanted the car dealerships and some of the people that would do uh, payroll deduct and pay half of it. And so I was this new guy. I didn't know any difference. I said, well, hell, give me all the real estate meetings. Because I thought that it's only just me and them. If I can't convince them to come out of their own pocket and get better, then what the heck? Then I wasn't that good anyway. But I, I didn't know any difference. So I just went out there and started doing it. And pretty soon, boom, I was... I was, they would give me all the real estate meetings and I was the leading ticket seller. And, you know, one thing led to another and I was the number one sales performer in the country. And Tony sent me all over the world to train his people. And, uh, and there was another reference for me about mental toughness and then about, about, you know, just hard work that caused me to get to the top. So I just totally believed that, you know, and, and I was exposed to that younger because I didn't tell you this, but my college basketball coach, coach was crazy. He sent me to a psychiatrist to work on my rebounding. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was really advanced. He was crazy. <laughs> so Yeah. I, I was kicking ass. I was playing rail, but I wasn't really rebounding very much. He sent me to a psychotic psychiatrist to improve my rebounding. And to this day, you still wear hustle t-shirts and, and how this is relevant is one of the things that you talk about is now is the time to be working on your mindset, to be working on your skills, to be working on your, uh, your, your abilities because you have a little extra time, but you're not, you know, necessarily languishing. You are working for when you get to get back in the game is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. So what I've been talking to people about is there's two things that are happening around. People are focused on what they don't have. So, you know, it's easy to focus on what you don't have. Like, oh my God, my what's like, you know, for me, I'm in the keynote business. I had two, two, two keynotes that were booked in uh, April and two in May, both full fee. They're both gone. That's and like $60,000. 60 grand. And so, um, I can focus on the money I lost and feel like crap, or I can focus on how I can get better and work on doing something different because wherever you put your attention is how you're going to feel. So if I'm focused on this money I lost with no money coming in the future, man, I'm depressed and I'm going to, I don't even drink and I'd probably start drinking. But, uh, you know, but where you focus your mind is, is allows you to, to tap into your personal power and tap into your resources. So I guess, I guess one of the first things I'll teach you today is, is, one of the things I teach my clients is the power of questions and how your questions direct your thoughts. So like most people are asking themselves these questions that are negative, that are disempowering. For instance, when I lost those two, you know, those four gigs, I could have said, Oh my God, why does this always happen to me? Why, why now? Uh, what am I going to do? Oh, oh no. And when you're asking yourself those kind of questions, it leads you to negative or disempowering answers because your brain is programmed to answer the questions that you ask it. So in a very simple, simple state or a simple way to explain it, when you ask yourself bad questions, you get bad answers. When you ask yourself good questions, you get good answers. So the key is, and what I teach people is a real simple way is typically are at, people are asking why questions. Why can't I? Or why does this always happen to me? I'll give you an example. Weight loss is a, a situation in our country that if you talk to 10 people, eight of them are trying to lose weight. And so when I talk to people, and I've talked to many people who have weight issues, and one of the common 
uh, themes that go through their head with people with, uh, that have trouble with their weight. They ask themselves, why can't I ever lose any weight? That's the question they ask themselves, right? which is a presupposition that they never will. But what worse than that is their brain searches their files to come up with answers to support their question. So hypothetically, why can't I ever lose any weight? Well, your brain searches your files. It comes up with all your experiences. It says, well, Dan, you never work out. You eat like crap. You sleep on the couch and you are really a loser. And so then I feel worse. And so what do I want to do? I'm going to go order a pizza and drink some beer. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the, in the antithesis of that and how to counteract that is change that why question to a how question or a what question. So the opposite of that would be not instead of why can't I lose any weight, it would be how can I lose the weight? And even if you want to make it better and more empowering is how can I lose weight and actually enjoy the process? And so then your brain searches the file and it says, well, you know, you can start hanging around with Mary and Bob at work because they support your healthy lifestyle and, and you can go out to lunch with them. Oh, you know, you can bring your lunch to work on Tuesdays and Thursdays and eat with Bob and Mary. You know, on Saturdays, you can take your dog to the park and walk with the kids. And all of a sudden you have all these resources to help you get to where you want to go. But it all is derived from the questions you ask yourself. So that, back to the current state. Here we are, COVID-19 shut down. What's going through your head is going to determine how you feel and what you do. So what I'm doing is asking myself questions like this. What can I do during this strange time to empower myself so when it's over, I can come out and really give my clients some ROI? What can I work on right now that's going to raise my level of performance so that I'm more valuable to my clients? What can I do right now that I've been putting off that I can, that I can dive into and really let, increase my level of performance? And that's what I've been doing. So I've been working on my new keynote. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still doing things. I'm reaching out to my customers, but I'm also working on myself so I can improve. But the question for the customers is important. So like the questions I'm asking is, what can I do to help my customers bridge the gap over these weird times? What can I do to support my customers or my clients who are going through the same thing that I'm going through? And that causes me to come up with an empowering answer. And then I do those things. And so that's a simple strategy, but it's about controlling your mind and how you do that is with the questions you ask yourself. Uh, easy philosophy, hard to, to adopt because uh, we are programmed to ask ourselves negative questions all the time. Uh, I have a question for you and it might be a bit of devil's advocate. Clearly, your approach to life has been informed very heavily by your life experience from where you were as a child, as you just related to us. And But for those of us who are not Division I athletes or national champions in basketball, or maybe, you know, when we were younger, we, we didn't take advantage of some opportunities that were afforded us to help us to develop this mental discipline. Are there things that I can do now, even be, even being just a quote unquote normal person mm -hmm. who was not a star athlete or wasn't oh, yeah. blessed with great talent. What can I do now in my current situation to move forward, even though I may not have had all of those uh, quote unquote uh, life experience advantages that you, Dan, had uh, when you were younger? Great question. And I think that's a, a relevant question that people ask. And I think, you know, what's great about the human brain and, and your mind and your potential is you can turn it on anytime you make the commitment to do it. And that's the, that's the truth. He's like a lot of people, they, they don't maximize their potential because they don't know about it. And because they feel like 
oh, I am at, I am at, I am a, a victim of the world and I am, I am a, they're not in control. And that's not my belief. I believe that I'm in control of everything that happens to me. And that's one of the empowering beliefs that I have. Um, it's true for me because if I adopt that belief, that means I'm in control and that gives me power. And so that's one of the things, a lot of people don't want to take responsibility for their life. And so that's one of the key things you have to make a decision as a human being is like, who is ultimately responsible for your life? And if you can say that I am, then you're in control of it. But if you're pointing fingers at, oh, well, it was my parents. Oh, it's the government. Oh, it's this, it's that. You're screwed. So that would be the only way, Christian, that I would say you wouldn't be able to get out of your own ways if you're pointing fingers outwardly at what's going on versus looking at yourself. Um, but with the answer to your question is, is absolutely you can make strides on that. It's about, you know, your, your psychology is everything. It's 90% of your success. And everything you do is driven by your belief system. What you believe drives your behavior. You can't get yourself to do something you don't believe. So it really starts at that foundational level about what you believe is happening right now. And so one of the things I talk to people, I'll give you a bunch of tools today, but one of the things I would talk to you, to anybody about is, I mean, I can give you about four or five strategies today. So one of them I just gave you was asking yourself different questions, right? controlling your questions by the power of your questions, by how they're languaged, asking yourself how or what versus why, and doing it in an empowering way. Now, once you get to that place and you ask yourself that question, you actually have to have the personal power, the belief system to do those things. And so that's where the psychology gets into play. So one of the things that, that I talk to people about is like, it sounds really simple, but again, this is psychology. And the world that you live in right now. So get this, half the things you believe right now, Christian, aren't true. Half the things you believe are never going to happen. So if you're going to believe something, why not make it positive? Right? So mo many people are walking around thinking, oh, this is gloom and doom. This is not going to work. Uh, and and the, we don't even know what's going to happen. But most people are attached to beliefs they have that half of them aren't even true, but they it, it affects their whole life. So you really have to 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 understand your beliefs drive your behavior. So reverse engineer that. How can I change that? How can I do things different? So one of the strategies I teach, it's really, really simple, uh, really, really simple. And you can reverse engineer your success using it. It's called the as if strategy. And that simply means acting as if acting as if you were the person you really wanted to be, right? So if you asked yourself, like, well, if I was a person that was, uh, if I was a great leader in today's time, this is great for your leaders that are on this, this podcast right now. So some some leaders are like, oh, geez, what do I do? I've never been in this situation. I've got 15 employees. I've got 500 employees. I don't know what to do. Well, acting as if, and that's simple to saying, well, if I were, if I was the best leader in the country right now, or if I was an effective leader, what would I do right now to help my team through these challenging times? Well, I don't know. Well, if you did know, if you did know and you were the best leader, what would you do? Well, I would probably reach out to them and connect with them and let them know that I'm here for them, even though it's a weird time. Well, great. If you did that, you'd be a better leader. That's right. So you can literally course your steps out to help you get to where you want to go. And I'll give you a real life example of that. So one of my goals as a, a father was to be an outstanding father. Um, but we've, you know, the only the only uh, tools we have is typically what we've seen. You know, you can read books about it, but doing it and reading it is two separate things. So I did, I wanted to be an outstanding father. And I had a, my childhood was, I didn't want my kids to have the same childhood I had. I wanted to have an engaging. I wanted to actually tell my kids I love them, show them that I love them, actually hug them. 
and uh, imagine what that would be like. And so I wanted to do that. I wanted to be that kind of a father, but I, I've never done it before. And so as I was going through my journey, learning about mindset and about changing behavior, I implemented that strategy. And I literally put a stick of note on my post-it when I walked into my garage. It was like, well, right before I walked into my garage, the garage door opens, you drive your car in, and then there's the door that walks in your house. And I put a post-it note on there that said, act as if you're an amazing father. And so I walked in the door and so what would happen in the past, I'd walk in the door and my kids would go, oh, dad, there were like four and two at the time. My son was four and my daughter's two. Daddy's home, daddy's home. They'd be dancing around and I'd walk in. I'd go, hey, 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 give me a, give me a couple minutes, guys. I, I want to send a few emails, make a few phone calls. And two or three hours later, I'm putting them to bed. And that's not an outstanding father. So I just checked myself and I said, well, I need to act as if. So I literally put that note on the board, and I, uh, on that door. And I came home the next day and I was just like we always do. We go into our patterns that we do, our patterns of, of behavior. And I was about to say, hey, kids. And I saw the note and I said, act as if you were a great father. And I said, well, I'm, if I was a great father right now, what would I do? Maybe, maybe I'm not a great father, but if I was, what would I do right now? And so I answered my own question. I took my tie off, took my jacket off, got down on the floor, connected with my kids, gave them the love and the connection that I never got. And so I built, a, what, was called, I built what was called a reference. And that reference causes your beliefs to be true. When you have references in your life, you can create beliefs. And so if I was a great father, what would I do? Oh, I would, I would, put them, I would read to them every night. Great. So I started doing that. If I, and you start doing those things, you start taking the actions that allow you to be a great father, and then you become that person. Dan, you talked about that. You actually, you talked about that with, with being a great husband. Yeah. And, and, and I remember you talking about it in a keynote that I heard you give. And one of the things you said is when that garage door goes up, as you're talking about, like the whole, you know, people will hear it in the house, like, Oh, oh honey's home or dad's home. And, yeah. and, and you said, what's going through their mind? Oh, I'm so glad he's home. I'm so glad to see him. And, and that's what you were thinking. I want to make sure that my wife thinks that when that garage door goes up, oh, good, instead of, oh, crap, I'm, I'm yeah. you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, so right, you right. act as if. Yeah, yeah. That was just like, you know, I was teaching, uh, you know, the law of association, kind of like how it's classical conditioning. It, you create an identity based on your behavior. So it's like Pavlov's dogs, right? They're hungry, feed the dogs. They start to salivate pretty soon. Just ring the bell, they salivate. Well, People are making associations about us every day, how we show up. So if you keep showing up and you're negative all the time, pretty soon they start running when they see you. So I wanted to make sure that, like, you know, what is my wife thinking about when I come home? When I hit that garage door and it goes up, is she going, oh, gosh, already? Or is she saying, oh, yeah, Stan's home. So that, that's my joke that I do in my, my keynote. But it's, it, it resonates with people because we've all felt that before. You get that phone call, you see the number come through and you're like, oh, I don't want to pick up that call. So, you know, just creating your identity. And that's that's more with the behavior. No, we create our identity, our identity in business as salespeople, as leaders. We create an identity by the things that we do and the behavior creates that identity. So if we change our behavior, we can change our identity. And that's what we do in business. You know, it's interesting. I, I've got a rather humorous or interesting anecdote from from college illustrating this as if point. So I had a statistics professor and the statistics professor was an adjunct professor and he had previously served as the chief statistician for Coca-Cola 
as he was going through the syllabus and the class and everything, he said, well, if there's one thing you remember from this class, it should be this. Dress as if you make $25,000 a year more than you do, and you will. Nice. I don't remember anything he taught about standard deviations or bell curves or anything like this, but I remember to this day him saying that. And I remember taking that to heart when I was a young up and coming professional. I would survey how people were dressing in the office and I would try to dress just a little bit nicer, not expensively, but just, well, if everybody was wearing jeans and, and a polo shirt, then maybe I would wear khakis and a dress shirt. And if they were wearing khakis, maybe I would wear slacks, you know, I would just, and it was interesting because people would think that you're ambitious or you're taking things seriously and you want to go places and it would open you up for promotions and things. And it was a very simple piece of advice, but it was for me a very impactful piece of advice. And it's something that is really a small thing, but is totally under your control. So thank you for reminding me, Dan, of that experience. Yeah. And, and as, as simple as that, I mean, I, I, you guys are sports guys, so I got to tell you the story, right? So this really, this is before I was even, this is before I worked for Tony Robbins, this is before I even had this knowledge. So after my first year playing college basketball at the University of Toledo, I, w- I mean, I went to school at 17. So I was the young, I was a young, young freshman. So I was getting my butt kicked. I was 17 playing against men. And, but I was carrying a, a little extra. I, w- I was just, I wasn't a man yet. I wasn't shaving. And so in the summertime, I said, I, w- I was weighing like 214 pounds, but it was almost like I wasn't, I wasn't a man. I was undeveloped. I was like baby fat, if you will, but I wasn't fat. I was just, I was six, eight, two fifteen, but it just wasn't. That's a twig. Right. But I wasn't, I wasn't developed. I wasn't, even, I wasn't shaving. So I worked out that summer. I said, okay, I was, I wasn't quick enough. I wasn't, I just wasn't developed enough. So um, my dad, so put it this way, when I, when I got my college scholarship, my college basketball scholarship, my dad made me take out a loan so I could pay for pizza and beer and stuff at college. I had no access to any money. So I, um, I took this job in Lansing, Michigan, and I worked the midnight shift at, at Meyer Thrifty Acre, which was a big warehouse. It was like a warehouse for a big Kmart or something. And so I was the, I was the janitor. And so I was sweeping floors. I was cleaning up messes. And I did that from midnight to six or seven in the morning every day, get off work, go home, uh, get some food, sleep. I'd get up. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I played basketball at Jenison Fieldhouse with the Michigan state athletes. And you had to be a college basketball player to get in there. And so here I was, I just finished my freshman year at Toledo. Magic Johnson had just been the MVP of the finals for the LA Lakers. And, you know, he's probably 22 years old, right? I don't know, 23 years old. Here I am. I'm 18 years old. And I'm playing against now I'm not BSing here. This is legit. It was, it was all college athletes and they were all, you know, tight with magic. So they were talking about people like Mark Aguirre, Terry Donnelly, Ron Charles, all Kevin Smith, all these pros that were there. And I'm in this, I'm in this game. We're playing full court and get this full court up to four baskets. So that means, because typically when you play these pickup games, it's everybody's BSing for about five points until it gets serious. But this is, there was no three point shots back in the day. It was first, first team to four baskets. So I'm on Magic Johnson's team on my first run. And I'm like, holy cow. And so here it's me and Magic Johnson. I don't remember who the other four, three guys was, but it was early in the game. No one had scored a point yet. I anticipated that Magic was going to make a steal and he did. And I took off towards the basket on a break. 
He steals it, throws me a, a kind of a hook pass. I am not warmed up yet. I go up and lay it off the glass nicely, even though I am six eight and I could easily dunk it, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to miss a dunk, not even warmed up. So I laid it off the glass. Well, little did I know, the last thing I saw was Greg Kelser was at the free throw line chasing me. But when I laid it up on the glass, he pinned it up against the glass and pulled it down. Oh man. And so that was that we would have been up one to nothing, which was, ha- you know, one quarter of the way there. Well, he, he grabbed it off the, the glass and pulled it down. Luckily for me, he'd lost, lost possession. It went off his knee and it went out of bounds and it was still our ball. So anyway, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I feel so embarrassed. Everybody's watching me. I'm 17 years old. Magic Johnson comes up to me. And at that point he could have said anything to me. Right. I mean, he could have said anything to me. And I didn't know what he's going to do. He puts his hand around my, my back, and, you know, kind of pulls me into him like his, he's a coach. And he goes, hey, Dan, <clears throat> he goes, we need you right now. He goes, you need to act as if you belong here. And he, wa- and he walked away. And so I didn't even get it. But all I knew was this dude just told me that I need to pick it up. So my intensity level went up. And, I, you know, I think the whole summer, I literally, the whole summer, I played two nights a week and I scored two baskets the whole summer. But when I went back to college, I was so much better. My, my, my athleticism, my talent, my ability to play was so much better uh, because I had played with those guys in the summertime, but I only scored two baskets the whole summer. And, you know, some people would actually give up on that because they are not having the success or scoring all the points, but you're actually increasing your muscle mass, you're increasing your skills, you're challenging yourself rather than playing with people that you can beat. Just play at that level. You know, when you play against people or that are better than you, you just automatically elevate your, your skills. So that, that whole as if thing, I didn't even know what he was doing, but I got it. And so I've used that my entire life. You know, when I left Tony Robbins, I was nervous. And so I would have these conversations with myself, you know, I would act, walk on the stage acting as if I was the highest paid speaker in the country. I was walking on the stage acting as if people loved me and cared about me before I even knew who I was. So it's about putting yourself in that place, that mindset where you feel confident and you have access to all your resources. And that's what that does. Well, I know you've, you've said you had four things and, and, and we, you know, we, we like to keep this, this short, but I think we, you know, we go as long as, as we have to, but I'd love to hear your other two suggestions that we can do to, to keep that mindset at that success mindset. Yeah. One of the things I talk about real quick is, is, uh, the story that you tell yourself, right? So, uh, we, we get into these stories about what's going on in our life. And so things happen. So what happens is when, when things take place, we have to create a story about it. We have to make it mean something. Cause that's what human beings do. We have to make it mean something. So when I'm in eighth grade and I'm walking down the hallway and some kid gives me a dirty look and I'm at a new school and I interpret that look and I put a story around it and go, oh, he's a, he's one of those kids. He doesn't like me. He's mean. And that's a whole story that I put on and it affects my self-esteem. But the reality was he had something in his eye and he was putting, he was fixing his eye. And when he looked at me, or when he looked up at me, it was a weird look. But the story that I attached to what happened caused me to be disempowered. Does that make sense? Yes. So the story that's going on right now in people's lives is disempowering them and paralyzing them. So the story is what's going on right now. So what's your story you're telling yourself about the COVID-19 thing? 
is your story that, oh my God, this is a conspiracy. The government's shutting us down. I'm going to go broke. What's the, what's the story you're telling yourself? Because the story you're telling yourself is going to allow you to access your resources or not access your resources. So the story that I tell myself is, this is a, a once in a lifetime thing. It's unknown. And the people that are going to be able to manage their mindset are going to come out on top. And that's the story that I have. And so that's the story that empowers me because nobody really knows what's going to happen. But my story is, this is an opportunity for me to thrive, for me to get with my customers, to empower my customers and, 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 and uh, raise my skill level. And that really relates to our thoughts. You know, there's a, uh, there's a saying that says, our thoughts are architects of our destiny. And that was said by David O. McKay a long time ago. Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. So great advice. Yeah. The other thing is really just is understanding is that uh, to change behavior, especially in these small times, it's like, it gets daunting. So teaching people to, to take small steps towards where they want to go. Like, for instance, if you're paralyzed right now and you don't know what to do, I mean, you know, making two phone calls today is better than zero yesterday. And so if you can make two phone calls today and make two tomorrow and two the next day, you know, maybe by Friday you can make four or five. And so it's about understanding. It's about taking things in bite-sized chunks and not making yourself feel like crap because you're not, you're not where you think you should be, you know? So it's about like, Putting step by step by step. Most people don't get to where they want to go because they get too impatient and they want to take that big They overwhelm route. themselves with, with all the great plans and it's not perfect. So they take no action. No action. So it's just like, what's the first thing I need to do? And if you just did that first thing and you did the next thing the next day, you're going to get there. It might take you a long time, but you've got to move forward. So it's about consistency is more, more important than, than big action. I, I, I tell people to take small steps and do them every day. I'd rather have the sales rep that's making five calls a day than the guy who says, yeah, I'm going to make a hundred calls this week. And he makes a hundred the first week and doesn't do jack for the next six weeks. I want the guy who's doing five a day. So Absolutely. That's, that's what I'm all about is just consistency. And so just understanding that, you know, we're in a tough time. And if you can control your mindset with the questions that you're asking yourself, really control your story, um, act as if, and then take some baby steps, you know, you're going to find yourself um, helping yourself get to where you want to go. And so, um, I think those, those will be helpful for some people. You know, I, I want to just share a, a thought. You know, I talk to a lot of engineers and, and science types, and sometimes people can, can have the attitude of what you're sharing is, oh, it's just that, that PMA, that positive mental attitude stuff. And, and that doesn't really, really work. But if you know anything about science, there's two Dutch scientists that 10 years after Einstein developed the theory of relativity, uh, Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg somehow, and I don't know what how they figured this out, but they were observing subatomic particles. And what they found is just the act of observing these particles influenced how these particles behave. And it became known as the Heisenberg principle, or then applied to psychology as the expectancy theory, which you talked about the self-fulfilling prophecy. It's the same thing. And so what they found is just by observing matter, subatomic particles, you influence it. So you've heard that wow. saying, thoughts are things, thoughts are act things. as if is the exact same principle. Our thoughts influence matter. They influence our actions. And in physics, it actually, and, and I don't understand how that works, but it has been proven. They won, they, they won basically a, a Nobel Prize for this science. And so later, um, a psychologist, but I believe it's Ellen Langer and a, and a Yale researcher by the name of um, Ali Crum, you asked Christian, how about the average person? What they did is they took seven different ho uh, hotels, 
the the hotel um, room certain what do you call it the 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 cleaning oh my gosh housekeeping they looked at seven different housekeeping teams they split them in half and just over seven weeks what they did to one group they said listen the work you do in cleaning the hotel rooms is the equivalent of doing like aerobic exercise you know you're moving that vacuum right just thinking about the work that they were doing we want you to know that these are the benefits. The other half, they told no such good news to. In seven weeks, the, the half that they told that the work you do is the equivalent of exercise lost weight, their cholesterol went down. So just by how they thought about the work they were doing, cleaning rooms, you want to talk about average people with no basketball uh, championships, impacted the quality of their work and the satisfaction of their work. That's amazing. I, I, I mean, I totally believe that. I know that's true. Well, I guess I need to go clean my room. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, we're so grateful for the time that you spent with us. And it's so it, it's so great to talk to you. And, you know, you've got hours and, and years worth of stories you can share with us. You actually have your own podcast. You have a, a great business that you consult and, and help businesses be more productive and effective. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about that and how people can find you and, and uh, how they can learn a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So the best way to reach me, well, I'm on, available on all the platforms, but our website is danlear.com. That's D-A-N-L-I-E-R.com, danlear.com. And so if you have questions for me, just go to the contact Dan and you can send me an email there. Uh, but I do keynotes for people. I've customized keynotes, training, leadership stuff. But that's nothing, none of that's happening right now. So what people have been, I'm very blessed is that when I got really sick, I didn't know that if I was going to be able to get on the stage again in three or four years. So we started developing our virtual training platform. So we have resources for people who are companies who need the edge. So if you're interested in taking a look at it, I will throw things, two things out there here. Uh, let's see here. I've got a virtual training platform that is great for people uh, to help their companies bridge the gap. And I'd like to, I don't know, see if I can help some people with that. But that, but that's what's great. So if you'd like to know some more about that, go to my website, danlear.com. Uh, you can ask me about the virtual training platform, but if you want to go to crushyourquota.com, you can actually see it and what it looks like, but we private label it for companies. Um, and so that's what, that's what we're doing right now to keep companies engaged. So we've got about $30,000 of my courses on there that we're allowing companies to, to, to go through. Um, I also have a podcast you mentioned. So those of you that uh, are in relationships, my wife and I do this podcast called the business of love. And the reason why we did the podcast is that, you know, relationships are, are one of the things that people want the most. And they're one of the things that people fail at the most. And I've done it as well. And so, but I've realized is that entrepreneurs and business owners will do anything to keep their business going. They'll do anything to improve. Like if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, you'll go to a class to learn about personality styles. You'll go learn about this, or you'll work on your patience and you'll do all these things. And if we did those same things in our intimate relationships, we would have a really successful relationship. So we just talk about the parallels about success in business and success in relationships. And so uh, my wife is great. She's very articulate and she has a, a, a great business background and she's also an entertainer. So she's got some interesting, interesting takes on things. So you can find that on iTunes and on Stitcher. 
and it's called The Business of Love. It's really great. I mean, I I, I love you guys both, and and your wife is a, is a good friend of mine. She's amazing, and I love listening you. to you guys. It's a it's a great podcast. Thank you. Um, if, if you're welcome, thank you again. If you want to get a hold of me, Spencer Horn, Spencer at altiumleadership.com or go to altiumleadership.com. That's A L T I U M. Com. And for me, Christian Napier, you can reach me at gp4.com. That's gpfour.com. And there's a contact us page there, or you can just email me directly at cnapier at gp4.com. Awesome. And I want to let people know too, that like uh, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, it's just Dan Lear, D-A-N-L-I-E-R. So you can always reach me there, message me there and uh, get a taste of what we're doing. All right. Fantastic. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and share some of your knowledge and insights. Hopefully we can check back in a little while after things improve a little bit and see how we've all come out of this thing. I'm open to that. Let's hope, let's hope that happens soon. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast, which you can find on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any of those platforms. 